All right, let's go over to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 13. And then after service, I want to encourage you guys to stick around for a couple minutes. We have um, a birthday, Noah, uh, Pastor Samuel's little son. It's his birthday. We're having a quick popsicle party for Noah after service, okay? So um, don't leave too quickly, especially if you have little ones. Stay for the popsicle party. All right, last Sunday morning, we talked about being models. You guys remember that? We talked about being models. We acknowledged our celebrity here at Coastline, that one of our men here has a strong resemblance to a superhero. And so, in fact, all week, as we've been texting back and forth, I now acknowledge Alex by his new name, Hulk. And so um, we got that. But we also got, I don't know if you, and, and we also had the Doug Dynasty guys in the back row last week. So, but this morning, we have a WWE wrestler here. So um, give it up for Roman Reigns over here on the side real quick. So if any of you guys know who that is, give it up for him. So Roman, that's Mr. Roman Reigns. But anyways, all right, 2 Samuel chapter 13. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word this morning. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. And Lord, as we get back into um, this book here, 2 Samuel, I pray that you would take this portion of scripture, this section here, Lord, the content, the subject matter, and Father, would you speak to our heart? Lord, if there's anyone here this morning where this would touch on an area for them, Lord, if there's anyone here that maybe this is a sensitive subject to them, I pray that you would speak to their heart. Lord, that you would provide words of comfort, words of hope, words of encouragement. Lord, if there's anyone here, Lord, who's struggling in temptation, we pray that this morning would be a moment, a time of freedom, a moment of surrender. And so God, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We pray that you would speak in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, so about three months ago, we sort of got off track here in our teaching, and we got into a couple series, and, and we got away from 2 Samuel, but this morning, we're headed back to 2 Samuel. If you're with us during that period of time, we left off in 2 Samuel chapter 12, where the prophet Nathan confronted David about his sin with Bathsheba. And you guys remember, after that moment, there was this time of correction. After that rebuke, there was this time of David sitting with the Lord, having to acknowledge his sin. You remember during that confrontation, Nathan said those sharp, piercing words to David, you are the man. You are the man that went after the married or the forbidden woman. David, you are the man that took the poor man's wife when you had everything or anyone available to you. You are the man that tried to cover up your sin. And David, you are the man that thought he got away with his sin. So now some time has passed between chapters 12 and 13 and that confrontation. What we're headed to now in 2 Samuel is sort of the section in the book that I like to refer to as the aftermath, or the section that deals with the consequences for David's sin. We're going to see how our sin affects David's role, or his sin affects his role in leading his family. Parents, listen, there are very direct consequences for the choices we make. And most times it will affect the climate of our home. Recognize this or will acknowledge this, but we control, as the leaders of our home, the spiritual temperature of our families. If we are hot spiritually, it's often reflected 
and our children. But if we are cold spiritually, that too will be mimicked by our children. Now let's start chapter 13 by reading about David's children. Would you start with me? Chapter 13, take a look at verse 1. It says, After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister, whose name was Tamar, and Ammon, the um, son of David, loved her. So here in verse 1, we have three children of David being mentioned by name. The first two of those children that are mentioned by name are Absalom and Tamar. Absalom and Tamar are both full brother and sister to one another, and they are um, son, a son and daughter to David. And then the third child that's mentioned here in verse 1, it's the name Ammon. Ammon was the half-brother of Tamar and Absalom, but full, obviously, son of David. Now, there's something that the NIV tells us about verse 1 that the New King James doesn't. And I want to read to you guys real quick out of the NIV, verse 1, because I believe there's something in here worth mentioning. The NIV reads like this in verse 1. It says, In the course of time, Ammon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Real quickly, that phrase, in the course of time, in my opinion, it's important. For me, when I first read through this chapter a couple weeks ago and began to prepare for this morning's study, that phrase just screamed at me. You see, this lust, this infatuation, wasn't something that blindsided Ammon. It wasn't something that one day, all of a sudden, it just hit him, I'm lusting after my sister. I have an affection or an attraction for my sister. That phrase, in the course of time, literally speaks of a period of time where this man had the opportunity to resist something. It speaks of a period of time where something came his way, a dart, an arrow from the enemy A carrot dangled from the enemy was before him, and over the course of time, Ammon allowed that unhealthy thought or that unhealthy attraction to grow. He had developed, we're told in verse 1, an unhealthy love, which is another word for saying lust. It began to develop for his own sister. Let me say this this morning, church, the enemy is always attacking our minds with things that are unhealthy, with things that are perverted, with things that are unnatural. And over the course of time, he will convince us that those things are natural, that it is okay. You see, if we do not surrender those thoughts to the Lord, If we allow them to linger over the course of time, it's shocking the things we're capable of. Would you give me your eyes for a moment, church? Let me repeat that. If we do not surrender those unhealthy things to the Lord, whether it's attraction, whether it's thought, whether it's lust, whether it's temptation, if we do not surrender those unhealthy areas to the Lord, if we allow them to linger over the course of time, it's shocking. It's shocking what we are capable of, even as Christians. It's, it's shocking what we're capable of doing. It's shocking what we're capable of participating in if we do not surrender it to the Lord. And that's exactly where Ammon Ammon finds himself. He's in love with his sister. Keep reading with me, verse 2. It says, Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin, 
and it was improper for Amnon to do anything with her, obviously. Real quick, if you're taking notes, there's a word here that I want to focus on for just a moment. It's the word distressed. Here in verse 2, it says he became so distressed over his sister that it made him sick. He became physically sick with what he was feeling. This word distressed here in the Hebrew, it literally means to be narrowed or straightened. Another way to say this was that he became so fixated or so narrow-minded about his attraction to his sister that he couldn't shake it. You see, although it was twisted, although his mind and his flesh would not allow him to see anything else, he was so narrowed, he was so distressed, that it got him to the point that he became sick. And this word sick here in the Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word halah, which speaks of someone who is weak or diseased. When you put the two together, what do you get? You get this unhealthy attraction that is weakening and diseasing this man. It's weakening him. And I must ask the question this morning to us here, is there anything unhealthy in our lives right now that has diseased us? Is there anything in our life right now presently that is weakening us? It reminds me of the story of Samson. You know, I, I believe he's the perfect picture of this Hebrew word, halah. We all know the story of Samson, right? Lust weakened Samson. Lust diseased Samson. And ultimately what happened? Lust destroyed Samson. Church, if there's something that we've, that you've, that I've allowed to linger... Over the course of time, it will weaken you. It will weaken us. It will weaken our home. It will weaken our marriage. It will weaken our judgment. It'll weaken our influence. It'll weaken our testimony. It'll weaken our desire for righteousness. It'll weaken our convictions. It'll weaken our desire for purity. And ultimately, it will weaken our desire to please God. Those things that we've let grow over the course of time must be dealt with. And must be dealt with immediately. Would you write this verse down? Romans chapter 13, verses 12 through 14 tell us this. It says, Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in rivalry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. For a moment, I want to focus on this phrase, make no provision for the flesh. This word provision in the original language, it means to provide for or to care for. It literally means that you, you are not to supply opportunity. You are not to supply. You are not to feed the flesh. Whatever area the enemy is using to weaken us, whatever area the enemy puts before us that might be unhealthy or unnatural, we are not to feed it. We are to make no provision for it. We are to stop caring for it. We are to stop supplying for it. It's the image, it's the picture of this thing that's growing. It's unhealthy. And we are to starve it. We're to not let it grow. We are to let it die. Now, I know this is uncomfortable for us to talk about this morning. I know for us to sit here this morning, this might be like, ooh, ouch, I, I, I hope he stops, I hope he moves on. 
but it's important because there are many people who love the Lord. There are many people who name the name of Christ who do not deal with areas in their life. They allow them to grow. In fact, sometimes they even feed it. They supply for it. They make provision for it. And yet they wonder why they're weak. They wonder why they have no spiritual appetite. They wonder why, hey, what's going on in my marriage? Why is my family falling apart? It's because we're not starving that area. We're supplying for it. You see, instead of letting that unhealthy attraction weaken you, it's time to weaken the unhealthy attraction. Continue with me in verse 3. It says, But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shema, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. Verse 4, And he said to um, Amnon, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in, in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Now here in verses 3, 4, and 5, we have another man enter into our text. Verse 3, real quick, if you're taking notes, tells us three or tells us four things about this man. The first thing we see about this man, number one, is his name. His name is Jonadab. Number two, the second thing we see about him is that he is the son of David's brother. So he's David's nephew and he's Amnon's cousin. Number three, he's not only family to Amnon, but he's also a friend or a companion to Amnon. And then number four, we're told there that he is crafty or cunning. He's crafty and he's cunning. There's a few things I want to highlight real quick in our text here, verses three through five. Verse three, I want you guys to underline this real quick. If you have your pen, pencil, highlight or something makes a line. Verse three, would you underline where it says Amnon had a friend? Amnon had a friend, his cousin. Let me ask you a question this morning. I know we're all old now, right? I mean, we're, 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 we're old. We're raising our own family. We're, some of us are turning 33. I mean, we're, 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 we're old. Happy birthday, Justin. We're old. But just for a moment, I, I, I want you guys to remember back to when you were young. How many of you guys had that one cousin that you always got into trouble with. Anybody had that cousin? Right? Some of you guys might be cousins here, you know, and you're looking over at each other like, I don't know, I don't know. right? <laughs> you know, right? So, Jojo, somebody's looking at you. Those two are cousins. But we all, we all have that cousin. We all have that cousin, that one person that we're constantly in trouble with. Cousin so-and-so. I could picture these two as those sort of cousins. The ones always introducing each other to certain things, the ones that are always getting away, the ones that, man, this is the first time, you know, you got all those experiences. Man, the first time I ever did this or the first time I ever tried this. Or so. That's what these guys were. They, they, they were those type of cousins. They weren't the type of cousins like, oh yeah, I remember back when we were in youth ministry together, you know, or back, man, when we had prayer, small prayer groups at 10 years old. I mean, they, they, these were not those kind of cousins. You know, I remember back when we were 12, we used to have home fellowships. No, 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 no. That's not these kind of cousins. These kind of cousins were the kind of cousins that obviously got in trouble together. Verse 3 says that he had a friend. Now, verse 4, there's something I want to focus on for just a moment. Verse 4 says that one friend said to the other friend, I love Tamar, my brother's sister. So basically, yo, friend, I'm in love with my sister. What should I do, friend? 
Now, real quick, hopefully you've never actually had this conversation with one of your friends, right? I mean, hopefully these words have never come out of your mouth. But in our text this morning, friend, what should I do? I am attracted. I'm lusting after my sister. Now, jump to verse 5. In verse 5, we get exactly what a friend shouldn't do. And we read exactly what a friend shouldn't do. Say, read verse 5 with me. It says, So Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. In other words, one friend says to the other friend, Yo, friend, go for it. When the friend should have been saying, yo, stop. What's wrong with you? How could you? That's, that's gross. That's disgusting. That's unnatural. That's unhealthy. Instead, this friend said to his friend, let me tell you how to make it happen. Let me help you manipulate to get what you want. Let me help you to go for it. Let me say this. Give me your eyes for a moment, church. None of us needs a friend like this. These are the type of people, obviously, that we should not, do not, we need not allow to get close in our life. You see, in the middle of his great temptation, this friend said to his friend, Go for it. He encouraged him to do something that would ultimately weaken him. A true friend doesn't encourage something that will weaken his friend. A true friend will speak true to his friend, and even if it's not popular, even if it's not what the friend wants to hear, he will do something that will strengthen his friend. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, the Bible says that wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. A true friend will come to his friend and say, hey, I know this is going to hurt. I know this is not what you want to hear. I know you came to me as a friend expecting encouragement, but I have to tell you the truth. Stop. Don't. Let go. Surrender it. There's a bigger picture here that I want to say to you guys this morning. We need to be very selective with who we call a friend. We need to be very selective, let me take a step further, with who we let counsel us. We need to be very selective. Psalm 1, verse 1, you guys know the text. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And so for Amnon, going through something very unhealthy, the exact person that he should have avoided was the one who would give him the counsel of the ungodly. Let me say this to us this morning. If you're going through something, if you're in the midst of a battle right now, you need to make your way to godly counsel. It's not the guy at happy hour. It's not your boss with the dirty jokes. It's not your neighbor, you know, with the fetishes and whatever he got going on. You need to make your way to godly counsel. Godly counsel. Keep reading with me, verse 6. It says that Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat from her hand. So Amnon does what his friend counsels him to do. Keep reading verse 7. It says, And David sent home to Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare, for, or prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, 
made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him. But he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, have everyone go out from here. And they all went out from him. So he finally gets Esther alone. He orders everyone out of the room. And this thing, the temptation that had lingered over the course of time, it's now about to happen. This is his moment to make the move. Let me say something about this moment real quick. I know that for this man, he probably felt like, man, I've, I've gone this far. This is the moment. It's going to happen. Let me say this to us this morning. Even when it feels too late, even when you feel you are too far down the lane of temptation with something wicked, and it seems or feels that it's too late to turn back, there is a way of escape. You see, reading the text, it feels like this is about to happen. I mean, there's no turning back. But I'll tell you, Scripture tells us in every situation, there's a moment to turn back. This is about to happen. It's too late. It's never too late to turn. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, you guys know the text. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Another translation says, he will provide a way of escape. How many of us right now are sitting here and we're screaming in our hearts, stop. You're screaming at the text, turn around. You're screaming at this brother, there's a way of escape. Don't go down this path. Unfortunately for this man, he doesn't stop. Unfortunately for this brother, he continues on. Keep reading with me, verse 10. It says, then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Verse 11, now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. Two verses ago, there was still a way of escape. Two verses ago, just a moment ago, there was still a way to turn around. But let me say this this morning, there's a point that you pass that you could never turn back from. There are words that will forever change a relationship. In this text, those moments, those words are, come lie with me, my sister. Those are words that this man could never walk back. Why is this important for us this morning? It's important because we too need to realize that in our temptation, there's a moment once you pass that point, there's no turning back. There's no grabbing those words out of the air and, and, and there, there, there's, there's no deleting the text. There's no deleting send. Once it's sent, once it's hit, once it comes out, there's no more regathering those words. Come lie with me, my sister. You can't walk that back. We need to make sure we're careful with what we're tempted by because there comes a moment where you can't walk it back. Keep reading with me, verse 12. It says, but she answered him, no, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. 
If you have your pens, pencils there at the end of verse 12, would you underline that? In fact, that phrase, would you commit it to memory? Do not do this disgraceful thing. Let me say this this morning. Those are the words, and this is uncomfortable to say, those are the words of a woman who's about to be forced to do something that she doesn't want to do. Do not do this disgraceful thing. You see, for me, I pray that every time there's a temptation thrown our way, that those words, that the scream, listen, the scream of Tamar would come into our ears, would come into our heart, would come into our mind. Do not do this disgraceful thing. But instead of her voice, men, I pray that we would hear our wise voice. Do not do this disgraceful thing. Women, same thing. I pray that you would hear the voice of your husband screaming these words before that moment. Parents, I pray that you would hear your children's voice in that screaming to you, do not do this disgraceful thing. Ultimately, Christian, listen, I pray that we would hear the voice of God, that we would remember his word, And that his word would shout to us, do not do this disgraceful thing. The spirit of God is dwelling on us. I pray, pray, he's dwelling in us. I pray that we would heed the spirit of God who's shouting to us, do not do this disgraceful thing. She continues speaking to her brother, verse 13. It says, and I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be the one, you would be like one of these fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. She's trying her hardest to get him to stop. She's trying her hardest to get out of this situation. Read verse 14. However, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than she, he forced her and he lay with her. This brother just raped his sister. In the Old Testament, anyone who rapes a woman was punished by death. Rape. I mentioned to you guys at the beginning, the subject matter this morning would be a little bit on the cautionary side. We're dealing with the subject of rape. We're dealing with the subject of of force. This brother just raped his sister. And I think, you know, one of the things that the Lord spoke to my heart this week as I prepared for this morning was that we as believers, we need to be the most careful and the most compassionate people when it comes to victims. You see, God's word often speaks of helping those in need. Let me tell you, there's a a group out there. And we'd be shocked to find how large that group is. There's There's a group out there in need of encouragement. There's a group out there in need of hope. There's a group out there who's found themselves in vulnerable situations. Whether... It was as a young person with no strength to fight back or whether it was as as an adult still in that situation. There are people out there who are in need of care, in need of compassion, in need of encouragement. You see, for me, I believe that Christians should model the love of Christ to other people. We need to be modeling the compassion of Christ and helping people who are victims. And we need to figure out how to do it any way possible. We'll get back to this more in just a moment. Continue with me in verse 15. It says, then Amnon hated her exceedingly. So after it happened, all of a sudden, he goes from loving her to hating her. 
he goes from wanting something sensual to just all out rage. It says in verse 15, so he, so that it says the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love. And, and let's not confuse that. This is not love, eros, or agape. This is lust. This is passion. This is selfish. It says he hated her. And it says, and Ammon said to her, arise, be gone. I think any of us who've ever been in deep sexual sin, we can relate with this feeling. One moment you think that you love whatever it is that you're doing. You think you need whatever it is you're doing. And obviously you are controlled by whatever you're doing. And yet in the very next moment, you can go from loving it and needing it to despising it and hating it and wanting to distance yourself from it. If you've ever gone down this path before, you know the battle. You know that up and down feeling. I love her. I hate her. Get her out of here. Verse 16, so she said to him, no, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he, sh- but he would not listen to her. Then he called the servant who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. He got what he wanted and then he just discarded of her. Verse 18, Now she had on a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Verse 19, then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, as Amnon, your brother, been with you. But now hold your peace, my sister. He's your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. It's not your fault. You're the victim here. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. There's a picture here in verse 19 that I can't shake out of my head. It's the picture of pain, and it's the picture of grieving. We're told that she put, or she, she put ashes, she had ashes laid on her head. You see this woman who's in pain, and then also at the end of verse 19, it says that she was crying bitterly. There's a grieving process when you're a victim. And every victim grieves differently. Let's be honest this morning. I would say very few victims actually turn to the Lord, actually surrender their pain to him. Very few victims take what they're going through and run to the altar, run to the lap of Jesus. Most victims, if we're being honest this morning, they get through the best they can. And they find ways to cope. And a lot of times it's unhealthy. It's unspiritual. And unfortunately, there's no Jesus in it. You guys know a couple years ago, um, my mom died of cancer and stuff like that. And about maybe three, four years ago, uh, or three or four years before she passed, she came to me one day. My brother, or not, not my brother, the home where her and my brothers lived, my cousin used to live there. And my cousin's super heavy involved in gangs and drugs and owing people money kind of things. And one day, some people came to the house looking for him. Obviously, he didn't live there anymore. And they came and my mom was the only one there in the, ha- in the house. And so you have this car pull up looking for my cousin. And I don't know what happened, but all I know is about a week later, 
I'm sitting down at the table with my mom, and she's just crying. And she shared with me that those guys did something to her. And I watched my mom for three years, the last few years of her life, just go through just uncontrolled nights of just weeping. There were moments where, you know, there were a lot of nights that I would get a phone call from my brother saying, she's, she's drank too much tonight, and can you come over and help us? And I'll be honest with you, you know, when I read that text of this woman in her pain, this woman just crying bitterly, you know, I couldn't help but think of my mom those last few years. Just seeing her in all that pain seeing her in that grieving process. You know, those nights going over there and just hugging her, those nights of not knowing what to do, but knowing that someone's in pain. Those nights of encouraging her to turn to the Lord. Those nights of Christine and I praying for her, telling her that God could comfort her. And that there was something else greater than what she'd been turning to. You know, let me say this to you this morning. As someone who's been there firsthand and, and watched someone go through something like this. If this is you this morning, or you've been through something similar, I know for a fact there is no hope anywhere else other than Christ. I know for a fact there's nowhere else to turn than to turn to Christ. I know that there's no one to turn to other than to Christ. Because I saw it night after night, someone turned to other things, hoping it would fix it. And at the end of the night, it would just end passed out on the couch and going through it again the very next day. If you have been hurt or victimized, you know, I would encourage you, grieving, crying, processing, that is all part of it. But my prayer is that the end result would be turning to Jesus. Because trust me, there's nothing else that's going to fix it. There's nowhere else to turn. Let's finish verse 21. But when the king, when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. So David the king, David the father, finds out um, what happened. And I want you guys to notice in verse 21. Sorry, guys, real quick. He's angry, but he's silent. One of the things you see with dad is that he refuses to take action against Abnon. And it leads to a question this morning. Why didn't David do anything? Why did David stay silent? Why did David stand by and not jump in? There's many reasons that have been suggested, but let's finish our study with two of them this morning. Number one, first reason why David might not have jumped in, number one, if you guys are taking notes, was that there was no witness to the crime. You see, his friend, let's go back to that friend for a moment. His friend had carefully orchestrated the crime to avoid the possibility of witnesses. Therefore, there was no way to prove that the crime happened according to Jewish law. This would have turned into one of those he said, she said moments. And David, as the king, might have felt like, man, if we take this up, they're really, it's just him and her. And so some have suggested that David avoided dealing with this because there were no witnesses. Now as we finish this morning, I believe there's something even deeper. 
I believe there's something more to say. I believe the second and most likely reason was that David's son and David had been guilty of the same sexual sin. Father and son had both done the same thing. Think about it with me for a moment. In the case of Bathsheba, David went after the forbidden woman. And here in our text this morning, his son also went after the forbidden woman. Therefore, David probably felt inadequate to judge. He probably felt, who am I to say something? Father like son. The sins of the father reflected now in the sins of the son. This is where I want to leave. This is where I want to finish this morning. For all the great things that we read about David in Scripture, unfortunately, being a strong father was not one of those things. He parented with his sin and his shame before him. Instead of parenting, knowing that his sin had been forgiven. Let me repeat that this morning real quickly. David parented. David fathered with his sin and his shame before him. Instead of parenting, knowing that he'd been forgiven. You see, his sin, his his courage to take a stand within his own family. Listen, parents, we need to parent with a confidence that we've been forgiven of our past sin. Those of you, maybe your, your, your children are younger right now, and so maybe their chief sin is lying. You know, their chief sin is they stole something at Target and put it in their pocket, and, you know, not, not saying those things are good, but maybe that's what you're dealing with right now, but... As they get older, as they start to deal with some of the things that you dealt with when you were their age, there's going to come a moment where the enemy is going to lie to you and tell you, you can't speak on this subject. Who are you to tell them no? Who are you to try and correct them? Because remember your past? Remember when you were that age? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Listen, we've been forgiven of our past, and we should never lower the biblical standard of our homes because we once failed in that area. The standard, the conviction, should never be, well, I messed up. Well, I remember back when I was 15, there should always be a biblical standard, a biblical conviction. We should never feel like we can't say something or we can't minister or we can't invite someone to church because we once sinned in a specific area. Let me say this. I believe the only time we're disqualified from ministering, from sharing, from inviting is if that area is still an area in our life and we're living in hypocrisy. If we've repented, if we've been forgiven, then it should completely change the way that we minister, the way that we invite, the way that we reach out. You guys can close your Bibles. We're done this morning. Thankfully, right? As we close this morning, let me say to us, our past is our testimony, not our shame story. Our past is our testimony, not our shame story. Our testimony is a story about the power of God to save us, to change us, to free us. And then like David said, then to help teach transgressors his way. Our testimony is not a story to shame us, to weaken us, to erode our confidence in speaking truth to people.
this morning. My prayer for us as parents, my prayer for us as heads of homes, leaders within families, is that we would set a biblical standard, that we would have a biblical conviction, and that we would lead from that place. Amen? Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this time that we have to come and to, to sit and to receive from you. Lord, there are, there are scriptures, there are passages, there are texts that we love to teach on, that we love to hear about. There are verses that we love to sit under on a Sunday morning. And Lord, there are other verses, other texts, other stories, Lord, that are just difficult. They're difficult to talk about, hard to address. They're equally important when it comes to teaching your word. And Lord, this morning as we sat under one of those texts, I pray that you would take something in this text, Lord, something in this story. And Lord, that we would be able to hold on to it that we would be able to say, that's why I came. That word was for me. That was a word of hope for me. That was a word of encouragement for me. Or some of us might walk away this morning saying, Lord, that was a warning for me. That was a word of correction for me. Lord, I pray that we would take whatever we received and that, Lord, we would not be hearers of your word this morning, but that we would leave and be doers of your word this morning. Lord, specifically, I pray for those who are here. Lord, those who've been victimized. Lord, those who've been hurt. God, maybe even those right now currently who are, who are in that grieving process and trying to figure out where to turn, what to do, how to cope, how to survive, how to get through. I pray that they would worship you. I pray that they would look to you. I pray that they would know that our help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth, and that there's nothing too hard from you, that you're the God of comfort, that you're the God of love, that you're the God who will, who will embrace them and love them and, and love on them and care for them. Lord, if any of us have been turning to other places and other sources to cope, I pray that the coping would stop today and that the turning to you would begin. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word, even, even places in Scripture like this. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, God bless you guys. Next Sunday, July 4th. Make sure you guys are here. I know there's no fireworks going on at 10.30 a.m., so I don't think that's an excuse not to be here. So make sure you guys are here. And then also talk to myself or Anthony and Stacy if you guys want to join us after service. God bless you guys. Let's all stand. Let's worship.